If you have your Bibles this morning, would you turn with me to the Gospel of Luke? The Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, and this morning our text is going to be in verses 10 through 17. Luke 9, verse 10 through verse 17. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets of broken pieces that were left over. Let's bow in prayer together. Father, we thank you for the honor, the privilege that we have this morning to read your word and to think on its truths and to have these words reveal to us more about Jesus, more about your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Messiah and our Savior. Lord, we thank you that we have this privilege, and we ask that at this time that you would help us, Father, to have our ears opened uh, to receive, and then your Spirit would take these words and apply them to our hearts. Father, bless this time, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Even though we are only about maybe halfway through, maybe not even halfway through the gospel of Luke, in the timeline or the sequence of events where we are in Luke chapter 9, Jesus is actually getting close to the end of his ministry in Galilee. And so that is why he sent out his 12 disciples into the villages and cities to proclaim the kingdom of God. Last week, we saw that Jesus commissioned his disciples and he sent them out into the villages with uh, authority to heal diseases and authority to cast out demons and to preach the kingdom of God. And so Jesus sent them out because Jesus wanted to maximize his effectiveness in the area of Galilee in the time that he had left during his earthly ministry. And so he sent them out with power and authority to heal and to cast out demons. And also in that commission, Jesus gave them special instructions. They were supposed to travel light. Jesus says, don't take a bag with you. Don't take food. Don't take extra clothing. Why? Because wherever they went, 
the people would supply for them, would provide their needs. And so when they went to a village, the people that listened and that welcomed them and heard the word of God, they would then invite them into their homes and provide hospitality for them. And so Jesus told them to just go out and depend on God and on the Lord's provision. And so when the disciples went out, they did that. They trusted God. They trusted God to supply for their needs. And it says in verse number 10 that the apostles returned and they reported to Jesus what they had done. So apparently it worked. Exactly what Jesus told them happened. He said, go out and you'll be provided for. Every need will be taken care of. You don't need to take a bag, extra food, clothing. God will provide for you. And so they obeyed. And now they're back from their mission. And they see now after the fact that Jesus was right and that God did provide for them. They put the kingdom of God first. And all of their other needs were taken care of by God. And so they come and they report back to Jesus all the things that happened on their trips, how people were healed, how demons were cast out, how people received the word of God. And I don't know about you, but when it says in verse number 10 that Jesus took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida, they did this because they were no doubt tired. They were worn out. Jesus was worn out. The disciples were worn out. They had been out in villages preaching and healing and interacting with people. And you need rest. They needed a Sabbath. Jesus was human. Yes, he is the divine son of God, but he is also fully 100% human. And so he needs rest. He needs physical rest. And so he and his disciples were going to withdraw to a solitary place near the town of Bethsaida, uh, probably on the northeastern corner of the Sea of Galilee. And the plan was to get some solitude, to get some rest, and probably for Jesus to instruct his disciples about their recent experience out uh, preaching and, and healing. And he was going to give them some more understanding about what they were doing and Jesus' ministry. But it was not to be. Their time of solitude, their time of getting away for a while did not last very long because it says that the crowds learned about it in verse 11 and they followed him. So they followed with Jesus and wherever he went, they were there. Jesus could not get away for a time of rest with his disciples. Now, when you're tired and you're worn out, you need that rest, right? And for most of us, if we're tired, if we're worn out, if we're hungry, we can tend to get grouchy, right? Those Snickers commercials are real, right? You know the Snickers commercials? Here, have this. You're hungry. You're not the same person you normally are. And so I can imagine that Jesus and his disciples, they're worn out. They need rest. But the crowd won't let them do it. And the crowd follows Jesus. But notice Jesus' response probably different than our natural response would be. Our natural response would be, why are these people continuing to bother me? Go away. Leave me alone. Let me get some rest. But notice it says that Jesus welcomed them. Jesus welcomed them. 
And we see this in many, many different episodes of Jesus' ministry where what would normally probably to us be a bother and an inconvenience to Jesus is an opportunity for ministry. And I think it, it, here's a, just a, a short, maybe side lesson, aside from the main point of the passage, but a little side lesson from this sermon this morning is we need to not allow uh, people's interruptions, the troubles that people bring us, not see them as inconveniences, but see them as opportunities. See them as opportunities to minister and to bless those people. That's what Jesus did here. And we're called to walk in his footsteps. And so Jesus welcomed them and he began teaching them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. So he continued to minister just the same way that he sent his disciples out to minister. But after a while, they've been teaching. Jesus has been there with them for a good part of the day. And we see in verse 12 that there is a great need. A great need has been made aware to Jesus' disciples. A great need in verse 12, late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. So there's a problem. There's a need. You've got a whole crowd of people and they've been there for a good part of the day. It's late in the afternoon. Before long, the sun is going to start setting. And then what are we going to do with all these people? And so the disciples maybe thinking ahead, you know, they're, they're trying to plan. They said, hey, we need to stop now. Let's dismiss now and let's send the people away so they can have enough time to get to the villages, to get to the nearby places so they can find a place of lodging so they can get some food. If we don't send them away now, then it's going to be dark. So we should send them away because we're kind of removed in a remote place here. Now, verse 10 said that they were near Bethsaida and they were probably right there near that village of Bethsaida, but they were probably some walking distance away from the village. And a lot of commentators think that Jesus was probably out near the Sea of Galilee, maybe on the shore, because of just the, the topography of the land. And maybe Jesus, even what he did before, maybe pushed out to sea a little bit in the Sea of Galilee and teaching the people so they could hear uh, what Jesus was saying but they're probably a little ways from Bethsaida and other villages. And so they would need some time to get there to find lodging and food. But then Jesus has a surprising response for them. Jesus doesn't say, Hey, that's a good idea. That's, that's good thinking. That's wisdom. Let's, let's send them out. No, instead, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And he does that. So the disciples will recognize their inability to provide for the people. The disciples' inability to provide. Jesus, instead of taking care of something in what might have been a normal expected way to do at that time in that culture, instead, Jesus gives his disciples an opportunity to minister again and another opportunity for Jesus to display who he is in front of them. And so Jesus says to them in verse 13, you give them something to eat. 
And then we see their inability highlighted here at the end of verse 13. We have only five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. Now, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of them provide us a little bit different perspective on this miracle. Some give a few extra details that Luke does not provide us for here. For example, in John's Gospel, Philip said that it would take more than eight months wages to buy enough food just for each one to have a bite. So how can we provide for all these people? We don't have enough food. We only have five loaves and two fish and we don't nearly have enough money to go and buy food for these people. The gospel of John also tells us that Andrew was the one who came with a boy who had these five loaves and two fish. But Andrew's response in the Gospel of John was, how far can they go among so many people? And so we see in verse 13, the disciples' inability to provide. Humanly speaking, this is impossible, isn't it? It's impossible. And the disciples are looking through it, looking at this problem from purely natural, physical lenses. They're looking at a crowd of over 5,000 people and they're looking at the fact that these people need food because they're hungry. They've been there all day. But what's the solution for them? The solution for them, the only lens they can see through is physical, financial, natural. We need money. We don't have enough food. They've got to go to town to get food. They're looking at it through purely practical means which in light of last week's passage is really kind of ironic, isn't it? Because what did Jesus send the disciples out with power and authority to do? To heal, right? To heal diseases, to cast out demons. And so it's not as if the disciples have never seen things from the supernatural perspective. They've seen Jesus do amazing things. They've seen Jesus raise someone from the dead. They've seen Jesus cast out hundreds, if not thousands of demons from one man and release that man and restore him to complete sanity in a right mind. They've seen the unimaginable in Jesus' ministry, but even in themselves. Can you imagine the first time a disciple went out and went up to someone who was lame and said, in the name of Jesus, get up and walk? And they did. And they've seen that with their own eyes, them doing it with the power of Jesus. And so it's kind of amazing that now in this scenario, they're like, we need money. We don't have enough food. They're just looking at it through purely physical, natural lenses. And Jesus here wants them to recognize their own inability. I think one of the reasons why Jesus does this and says, you give them something to eat is so that they will recognize their inability to provide for the need. An older commentator, Alexander McLaren, said this, It is often our God-given duty to attempt tasks to which we are conspicuously inadequate. 
in the confidence that he who gives them has laid them on us to drive us to himself and there to find sufficiency. The best preparation of his servants for their work in the world is the discovery that their own stores are small. In other words, sometimes God calls us to hard tasks just so that we will find out how inadequate we are. But so then that will drive us then to him to show us how adequate he is and how strong he is. And so that's what Jesus is doing here. And so he puts the responsibility back on them. You give them something to eat. It highlighted their inability and insufficiency to solve the problem. But that inability is going to highlight and magnify Christ's power and sufficiency. And I wonder if when Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat, that their Old Testament, their Hebrew scripture trained minds went back to 2 Kings chapter 4, the passage that we read earlier in the service, where it says that a man came from Baal Shalishah to Elisha, bringing the man of God 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain along with some heads of new grain. And here's what Elisha says, give it to the people to eat. That's almost verbatim what Jesus tells the disciples, isn't it? Jesus says that to the disciples, give this food to them to eat. Elisha said that to this man who brought these uh, loaves of bread and heads of grain. And notice the response of the man in verse 43. How can I set this before a hundred men? It's like Andrew in the gospel of John. What are these five fish, are these five loaves and two fish among so many? How can I set it before so many? But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat. For this is what the Lord says. They will eat and have some left over. It foreshadows what Jesus is about to do, doesn't it? And so he set it before them and they ate and they had some left over according to the word of the Lord. I wonder if their minds went back to that. When Jesus said, give them something to eat, but they saw their inability to do it. How can we do this? How can we give these people this food when there's so many of them? And so then we see on display Jesus' ability to provide. So we see the disciples' inability But now we see Jesus' ability to provide. Verse 14 says that there were about 5,000 men there. We don't know how many other women and children. We're just guessing. But there were more than 5,000, clearly. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50, probably so they could, you know, better distribute the food and probably so they can have an idea of how many were there. And so the disciples did so, and everyone sat down, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke them. And he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. Jesus looked up to God, and he prayed and gave thanks before a wilderness banquet, a feast in the wilderness. Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus prayed But there is an old prayer or a standard blessing for food that is found in the Mishnah, in the rabbinic writings. And it says this, Blessed be you, O Lord our God, King of the world, who causes bread to come forth 
from the earth. And so maybe Jesus prayed something along those lines. He gave thanks to God. He broke the bread and the fish, and he started handing it out to his disciples so they could give it to the crowd. And the interesting thing about this story is that the disciples in the end actually do end up giving food to the people. What did Jesus say to them? There's so many people here. They need to go and get food. Let send them back to the villages. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And now they are because they're the servants. They're the ones going around passing out the food. Yes, it's Jesus that is multiplying. It's Jesus that is providing, but they're the ones giving people something to eat, obeying what Jesus had told them earlier. Now, there are a lot of critics who try to attack this story and say, this wasn't a miracle. Uh, One theory that I've seen in more liberal critical writings is uh, when the boy came and gave his lunch, then everyone else said, hey, let's share too. And they all pulled out the food that they had and they started sharing and everyone had enough food. It's like the boy prompted an impromptu uh, potluck meal. And everyone broke out their lunches and shared. Uh, I've also seen, read one time that someone suggested that Jesus hypnotized the people to make them think that they were fed and that they were hung- that they received bread. And I read this in one commentary. It says, it is without doubt a fascinating business to investigate how, many in, how, how human ingenuity reaches new heights in its efforts to eliminate the supernatural from the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Really, it's almost more amazing to think about all these other ways that people suggest than just to accept the fact that, no, Jesus did a miracle. Some of these other explanations are more fantastic and wild than just, no, Jesus did a miracle and he fed them. And so Jesus has power over demons. He has power over raising people from the dead. He has power over illness. He has power over the wind and the waves such that the disciples say, what kind of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? No, Luke's point is not that Jesus got everyone to share. Luke's point, along with all these other miracle stories, is that Jesus is the supernatural son of God that he is the one, he is the Messiah who would come into the world. In fact, this story, the feeding of the 5,000, comes right after Herod's questioning about who this Jesus is. In Luke 9 and verses 7, 8, and 9, we have Herod hearing all these reports about who Jesus is. Some saying he's John the Baptist raised from the dead even though Herod had already had him beheaded. Some saying, no, he's Elijah. Some others saying, no, he's one of the great prophets come back from from the dead. And Herod wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see these miracles for himself. Then we have this story. Jesus feeding the 5,000. No, he's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah. He's not just one of the great prophets. He is the Messiah. He is the son of God. In fact, when you compare Jesus' miracle to the one recorded in 2 Kings chapter 4, it's like, you know, a piece of bread and a whole feast, isn't it? Because in the story in 2 Kings chapter 4, they had all these loaves of bread, more than they had in Jesus' uh, ministry, and they only had to feed 100 people. 
and 2 Kings chapter 4. Jesus did more with less than Elisha did in 2 Kings chapter 4. He fed 5,000 people with just five loaves of bread and two fish, highlighting how Jesus is greater than Elisha. Jesus is greater than Elijah. Why? Because he's the one. He's the Messiah, the Son of God. And so it's no accident then that the very next thing we see in Luke is Jesus asking his disciples the same questions that Herod was wondering about. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? After asking them, who do people say I am? And they give the same responses of Herod. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're another prophet. Come back to life. But then Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter correctly says, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. That's how this miracle fits into the story. It answers the question, who is this? Who is this man? He is the son of God. How did this miracle happen? We can have, we can only know so much about the mystery of how this miracle happened. But I intend, uh, I, I, I contend that probably the best explanation is that as Jesus is breaking off bread, it is simply being replenished. Every time he breaks off a piece of bread, it's almost like the story in Second uh, Kings chapter four, where the widow's oil never runs out. Elisha says to her, she's got a debt that she can't pay. She sa- he says to her, go get all these uh, barrels, all these pots, borrow them from your neighbors and take the little bit of oil that you have and just keep pouring and filling up those pots. And they kept pouring. It kept pouring and pouring until she filled up all of the pots that she had borrowed from her neighbors. I think something similar is going on here. Jesus is breaking bread and it's just continuing to be there. The, the loaf of bread never goes away. He's continuing to break it off. And the fish, he's separating it out and it just continues to multiply as he breaks it off. And so it is multiplied so much so that uh, the disciples had some left over, which highlights the fact that at the beginning of the story, we saw a great need, but now we see an even greater provision, don't we? So there was a great need that the disciples couldn't fix but now we see an even greater provision that highlights Jesus' ability. And this great provision is in verse 17 when it says they all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. 12 baskets. Not a coincidence, is it? Not a coincidence. There are 12 disciples. There are 12 basketfuls left over. Also not a coincidence that there are 12 disciples, just like there were 12 sons of Israel. Jesus is establishing once again a new people of God here with the 12 disciples. And just like Jesus told them before they went out on mission, trust God. Don't take food with you. Don't take a bag. Don't take extra clothes. Just seek first the kingdom of God and these other needs will be taken care of for you. And now Jesus is showing them once again that God will provide for them because now they have enough to take with them. Each of them a basket full of food left over. And so this is an example of the provision of Christ. These miracle stories that Luke gives us serve to show us who Christ is. They serve to show us the power and the deity of Christ. 
Jesus' ability to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish prove that he is the Son of God. Answering that question, who is this man? Who is he? He is the Son of God. And this story shows us that Jesus, the Son of God, is completely sufficient for every need, and his power is most displayed through our weakness. Jesus, the Son of God, is fully sufficient for every need, and his power is most displayed through our weakness. When we have a problem, our first initial inclination is to try to fix it ourselves. And our initial inclination is to try to fix it in purely physical, natural terms, isn't it? Just like the disciples. Here's a problem. Here's a need. How do we fix it? Well, send them away. Send them to the villages. They can buy their own food. There are times, now I'm not saying there's, there's never a need for practicality. I'm not saying there's never a need for us to apply wisdom and to do what you know, our hands are able to do. But there are times when God, when Jesus, will bring us to the end of our ability. Where we, we can't fix things from a natural, physical perspective. Why? So that we will depend on him then. So that it will highlight his strength. So that his power will be magnified through our weakness. And so Jesus sent out his disciples to go out into the villages, not because Jesus had confidence in them and their ability, but because Jesus was empowering them. And so the disciples went out, not confident in their own strength, but confident in the strength of Jesus. Their weakness made Jesus' strength magnified. So also in our lives, sometimes God will bring us through trials Sometimes he will bring us through episodes of Job-like trials. Why? So that we will see God. So that we will have to depend upon God. So that we will come to know God more. Sometimes the trials that God brings our way is simply to drive us to him. For us to depend upon him, for us to have faith in him, for us to get to know him in a deeper way than we could never do without the trials. Jesus, the son of God, is completely sufficient for every need and his power is most displayed through our weakness. Now, in this episode, Jesus fed 5,000 people and their physical hunger need was taken care of. Does that mean that in every situation, every scenario of our lives, that our physical need is going to be met. Not necessarily. The health and wealth preachers, the Joel Osteens and those in the the world out there, they're going to tell you that if you're really living for God, if you have enough faith, then all of your physical needs will be taken care of. You'll have health, you'll have prosperity, you'll be blessed But the scriptures don't portray that as the norm for God's people. Depending on Christ and being upheld by his power doesn't necessarily mean that every one of our physical needs is going to be met in the way that we would want. 
But it does mean that Jesus will never forsake us, that he will never let us go. And it does mean that Romans 8, 28, that everything that God is doing, he is working together for our good. And what is that ultimate good? That ultimate good is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. And ultimately that we would be glorified. That's what God is doing in us. And so we want our little earthly physical problem to be fixed now, but what God is doing, he's doing something in us that is eternal. He's building faith in us that's going to last for eternity that goes well beyond a meal. And so God brings us to the end of ourselves so that we will see his sufficiency through our weakness. And so may we have faith in the son of God. May we depend upon him and may Jesus be magnified in our lives. Let's pray together. Our father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for the love the provision, the power that you give to your people. We're thankful for this story that highlights the power and the provision of our Savior, Jesus. We're thankful that the story reveals that your strength is there and is made perfect on display in our weakness and inability. Father, may we depend upon you for all things not just the physical or the financial, but may we depend on you for eternity. May we depend upon you for our spiritual needs, for our emotional needs. May we depend upon you for fellowship and friendship. May we depend on you to strengthen our faith and to build us up into the image of Christ. Father, I pray for everyone who is here that you would draw them to faith in the Son of God and that you would strengthen their faith in the Son of God, and that every single day you would remind them that you are the provider of their daily bread. You are the one who gives manna from heaven. And so, Lord, may we depend upon you for daily strength and grace. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.